Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I want to preach a message to you today titled Eternal Consciousness. Eternal Consciousness. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that I can approach you, that we as a community can approach you boldly, not on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, that through relational trust and faith in Him who conquered death, through His blood we can come to your throne of grace. I thank you, Lord, that not because I am worthy or because I'm special or achieved or accomplished anything, but because of the blood of Jesus the Holy Ghost, the Holy Comforter, the anointing of God can come upon me and flow through me to communicate your eternal truth to hearts and minds. Lord, we're so thankful. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Manifest Jesus Christ, His kingdom, His lordship to lives today. We thank you that you prepare our hearts to receive the incorruptible word and seed of God. For this we give you praise. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have almost died, drowned to be specifically twice in my life. The first, I was around three, Cocoa Beach in Florida. The second, I was around nine years old. I don't remember consciously what I felt and what I experienced during those brief moments when I was three there at Cocoa Beach. A large wave consumed my grandpa and I as he had carried me deep into the ocean. However, I do remember when I was nine at Rough River there in Kentucky. It felt like everything was in slow motion. And I remember thinking to myself as I was being drugged underwater by a boat as I had been tubing. It had flipped and the rope had wrapped around my body. I remember thinking as everything was going, it seemed in slow motion, I'm going to die. I remember in that moment also thinking that I would no longer see my mom again. Then when I was 18 years old, I thought I had died. In a night of partying and mixing of substances and substance abuse, 
I thought I had died and that I had entered eternity and was in hell. I remember very much what I felt New Year's Eve 1998. The first was a fear. A fear that you could feel with such depth like a blanket being draped over you. A fear that it was too late to change anything. Secondly, I remember I felt though a freedom from the fear of what people thought. I remember having a freedom that man's opinion don't matter in eternity. I didn't care in that moment what people thought anymore. I was awakened to the reality that my life was lived before the eternal one, Almighty God. Fear and freedom, it was interesting. We're going to look at one main, main question today. What will we see and feel one minute after we die? Now soberly, as we're to actually communicate all Scripture, according to Paul's instruction to Timothy, soberly, this is the one series and the one question that you and I can't immediately walk out of the gathering today and put to the test. Like other things we teach when we talk about trusting in the Lord with honoring Him in your finances and trusting Him through you know, relational tension. These are things that we can immediately begin to apply. This series is not like that. I don't believe any of us want to tomorrow test the reality of what we're looking at today. Nevertheless, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, which is our main text, he says, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. The first thing we will see one minute after we die is number one, the body. Notice Paul says that while we're at home in the body, and then he says to be absent from the body. What this means is, is one minute after you die, you will see your own body. You will be looking down at your body. See, when you breathe your last breath, your spirit, who the Bible and Scripture also refers to as your inner man, will immediately come out of your body. It's like what James said in James 2.26, that the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. You will in that moment instantly be aware that you are absent from the body. That you are no longer in your body. You will instantly be aware that your body was an earthly tent as what Scripture says in 2 Peter 1.13 and 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. Then you will simultaneously see the body as both a gift and a curse. As a gift and a curse. Let me talk to you about the body being a gift. The body was a gift and the body is a gift because it's required for you as a human being to be able to live here on earth. That's why it's a gift. 
You leave your body, you no longer can function on this earth, on this planet. The body is a gift from our Creator God to you and I so that we can function, so that we can live, so we can act, so we can move, so we can engage on this planet called earth. If you want to spend time with family and friends, a body is required. If you want to go and serve people and extend compassion and do works of service, if you want to go and work and get a job and a career, if you want to accomplish things, a body is necessary. So the body is a gift. In fact, Romans 6.13 says it's so much a gift because it is an instrument for righteousness and good works to be performed for the glory of God. The body is a gift. I, I looked at my wife last night. said, hey baby, you see what you're laying next to? This body is a gift from the Lord. Then I reached over, I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, baby, this is such a gift to me. But the body is a gift. It's a gift. This ain't ghost. She leaves her body, I can't kiss her beautiful lips any longer. The body's a gift. Without my body, I can't be on the earth communicating God's eternal truth, His praise, His glory, declaring His faithfulness and His righteousness to this generation and the generations to come. Someone say, it's a gift. But it's also a curse. You'll also see in that moment your inner man, your spirit comes from that body. You'll not just see that the body was a gift, but you'll see and be conscious that the body, the curse of the body. In Romans 8.10, the body is dead because of sin. Romans 7.24, the body was a body of death. It was in decay due to sin. Each second right now, as the second hand ticks, death was working in your body you'll see that the body was a weight that had to be conquered and carried. You remember what Galatians 5.17 says? That your inner man, your spirit, wars against your body, the flesh, and your body wars against your spirit. It is a weight that must be conquered. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27 that I must make my body my slave. Who's the I must? His inner man. The body had to be submitted and to his inner man. It has a weight to it. The second thing regarding our main question today after we understand that the first thing we will see one minute after we leave our body is the body. The second is the place. What we will see and feel one minute after we die regards secondly the place. Notice in the passage, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, Paul the apostle, one sent by Jesus Christ to declare the good news of God and His kingdom says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you think about the place, what it says is instantly people when they leave their body one minute after they die, 
will have a consciousness and awareness that they are either with the Lord or without the Lord. Paul here, of course, is writing to believers, followers of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's not writing to a secular news media. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to secularists in universities of his day. He's writing to followers of Jesus Christ. And he tells the followers of Jesus Christ, he says, to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. He assures them. He says, we're well confident of this. He assures us today through the inspired scripture, you and I sitting here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This means we must ask the question, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? We know from the testimony of Scripture. We know from eyewitnesses where Jesus is. He ascended back to heaven to be with the Father. After 40 days after His resurrection, He ascended and He sat down at the right hand of God. And the Scripture says that He is seated and will remain seated until all things be made subject to Him in actuality, in practice. Heaven, where Jesus is sitting, where Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. Heaven is called the heavenly Jerusalem. It's called the city of the living God, Mount Zion. It's where there is an innumerable company of angels and the entire assembly of the church of Jesus Christ who have went before us, as well as the Old Testament saints who died in the faith that were delivered from Abraham's bosom in Sheol that I'll talk about in a moment, the underworld, but they were kept separate from the fires of torment waiting till Christ the Lamb of God would come to earth, would die and liberate them from the bondage of sin and the captivity and lead them triumphantly into heaven through the New Testament covenant of His blood that was shed and His body that was broken. Hallelujah. Notice He says... To be, as a believer, absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. To be with the Lord means, listen, we will see the Lord. Woo! To be with the Lord means we will see the Lord. Hallelujah. We'll see Him in heaven. But then when we talk about to be absent from the body, we must address be without the Lord. For unbelievers, for non-followers of Jesus Christ, to be absent from their body is to be away from the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. For the believer to leave the bodies, to be with the Lord. Where is the Lord? In heaven. For the unbeliever who's not a follower of Jesus Christ to leave the body is to be away from the Lord. That means to not be where the Lord is. Where is the Lord in heaven? So the first thing that must confront us, and it might be bitter going in, but it will bless you because truth will bless you if you desire truth and reality. It might be bitter to swallow, but ultimately truth will enlighten your heart if you want truth. Is this. That means not all people, when they die and leave their body, are where the Lord is and go to where the Lord is in heaven. Not every person who dies goes to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, declarer of God's eternal truth, said, Be aware of those who remove the reality of hell and make new ways to heaven. 
He didn't say that in 2000 something. He said that a long time ago. And it's the same today. So for the unbeliever to not be present with the Lord means to not go to heaven, which means not all go to heaven. In the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew translated word for where they go away from the presence of the Lord is Sheol. Sheol is referred to as the abode of the dead. Now this transliterated word Sheol was used primarily three ways in the Old Testament scriptures. The, the grave, the pit, and hell. The grave it was used to refer to what you and I today in our culture refer to is six feet under. It's used 31 times in the Hebrew language as the grave. The burial place, six feet under the ground. But then there was, it was used as what is called the pit. It's used three times. I want to give you an example of one of this in Numbers 16 and verse 30. It says, But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them. Now what is the context here? This is a man named Korah and, his, and some others began to rebel against the design of God for the community called Israel at the time. They began to rebel against the appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, that God has chosen, not because Moses had done anything, but God had chosen in him and chose to lead through him. They're rebelling. They're causing strife and rebellion and discord in the community. And Moses like, listen, I'll leave this thing up to the Lord. The Lord says, if I create a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit to Sheol, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Notice that. It's the, they have rejected the Lord, therefore they're going down to the pit. So you got to understand, this is the reality of why all, it, it doesn't even logically make, it, it, is, it, it doesn't even make logical Sense. It's not a possibility. If you have people that don't want to be with the Lord now, then why when they die would they want to be with the Lord then? Paul says as believers, we always want to be well-pleasing to the Lord whether we're with Him or absent from Him and in our body. If you have people that don't want to be well-pleasing and don't have a heart to please God now and please the Lord, why would they then when they die have, have a desire to please the Lord and be with Him then? That's illogical. So the text continues in number 16, verse 31. It says, Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Notice here that this place, this pit, Sheol in the Hebrew, is associated with the judgment of those that reject the Lord. Now this is used more than just talking about six feet under the ground. How do we know that? Because they and their entire household and all of their belongings went in. Well, you can't stack a whole family and all their tents and all their possessions in six feet. What it's saying is Sheol is used in multiple layers in multiple ways. The other way it's used is hell, 31 times. 
For instance, in Job 17, 16, will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? Psalms 9 and verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell, Sheol, and all the nations that forget God. Proverbs 7 and verse 27, her house, talking about the seductress, is the way to hell, Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. So hell is the place of future punishment called Gehenna or the Gehenna of fire. Now this is very important because when you read the Old Testament scriptures, you'll see that the valley of Hiram, the valley of Gehenna, is talked about. This was originally the valley south of Jerusalem where the filth of the city, where dead animals of the city were cast out and burned. And it fit the symbol of the future destination for the wicked and those that reject the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, and the goodness of God who is ready to forgive. Man, I felt this last night. I wasn't even thinking about it. It hit me. But I, we were having a family um, uh, Bible devotions for the kids went to bed. And I, I, it quickened in my spirit. Do you know the posture of God up in heaven right now? Do you know what His posture is towards sinners? Ready to forgive. Woo-hoo-hoo. That is the posture of God Almighty. It says our God should be feared because He's ready to forgive. When you think about posture, you see me at times up here stretching. You know, it's early in the morning and I'm stretching. I know i got to stand for a couple hours. But when you think about the posture of God Almighty, He's ready to forgive. But for those that reject His readiness, the valley of Hinnom, the Gehenna fire, was a fit symbol of the wicked in their future destination. Now listen. Scripture and God revealing His nature and His ultimate purpose was progressive. That's why Hebrews 1 says that in the last days God has made Himself completely clear through the person of Jesus. We don't see types and shadows and symbols. We see God in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. So when you go in the Old Testament, you have agnostics and atheists and people that are anti-Christ and anti-Jesus and anti-any authoritative truth and any foundation and anchor points of truth. And they say, well, you know what? The doctrine of Sheol is not spelled out like in 21 clear points for the doctrine of judgment in the Old Testament. Well, listen, just because in the Old Testament it's true, you're not going to find in one of the books of the Old Testament like 21 points to understand Sheol. You're not going to find that. It wasn't laid out that clearly. But to say that it's absent, would be totally against the historical accuracy, much less biblical accuracy. The idea of this place of judgment is there. Just like Jesus in the days of His flesh where He used parables to reveal ultimate truth. He used symbols and things like trees and mustard seeds to reveal ultimate eternal truth. Old Testament scriptures used things that the hearers knew to represent and to symbolize a deeper truth. It used the valley that they had seen fire with their own eyes where the unprofitable and the useless were thrown. It 
it uses those symbols that the hearers are aware to represent something deeper than ultimate reality of Sheol. In the New Testament, Gehenna, of course, is used. But in addition to Gehenna, the word Hades is used by Jesus and others. In Matthew 12 and verse 40, Jesus speaking of himself, saying, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now listen, he's not talking about the heart of the earth being six, six feet under. How do we know that? Because he was laid in a cave. He was laid in a carved out tomb in a rock. He's not six feet under dirt. He was laid in a hewn rock cave. So what's he talking about? He's talking about that there's more that's happening below just the dirt of the earth. Notice he quotes Jonah as a type of what would happen after Jesus' passion and his suffering and his death. You go to Jonah and you know what Jonah says about that in Jonah 2.6? He says, I went down to the foundations of the mountains. When that great fish swallowed him up, he went down below six feet under. He went down to the foundations of the mountains and he says, the earth with its bars, its gates closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Notice he talks about this depth. Deeper than just six feet under, this pit. And this pit has chambers, it has gates. Notice in the scriptures we went through, it speaks of chambers of death. It speaks to that there are gates to Sheol or Hades. 1 Peter 3.19, Peter says that Jesus, when he left his body, he went and preached to the spirits that were in prison. And it tells you in 1 Peter 3, he's talking about people who disobeyed in the days of Noah, who didn't repent, who died in a global flood. Jesus preached to those spirits in prison three days. But Jesus said in Revelation 1.18 that at His resurrection, now He says, I have the keys. I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus now has the keys to those chambers of death. Jesus now has the keys to those gates of Sheol and Hades. You remember in Matthew, well, in Isaiah 14.14, most all scholars would agree that this is symbolizing a type of what happened to Lucifer when he rebelled and sinned against God and God cast him out of his presence. In Isaiah 14, 14, it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Notice verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Why is this important? Because look at Matthew 25 and 41. You know what Jesus says? Then he will say also, Say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So notice in Isaiah 14, it's called Sheol. It's called the lowest depths of the pit. And Jesus said that those that follow the devil and reject the Lord and live for themselves and live with the I will, I will, I will, I want, I want, I want, like Satan did, that they go to a place that originally was not created for them. It was created for the devil and the angels. That's why Peter's clear. God is long-suffering. He wants none to go there. The Father right now, if you're shaking under conviction, shaking, 
not clear yet on the perfect love of God for you revealed in Christ, listen, you got to know that the posture of the Father towards you is He's ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. He's like that father in the, the parable, the prodigal sons. He is ready, ready to run towards you with mercy, with cleansing blood, with the Holy Spirit that can cut and circumcise and change your heart. Hallelujah. Peter in 2 Peter 2.4, he used the Greek word. So the Greeks had an idea about afterlife and hell, and they called the deepest part of the abyss of hell Tartarus. And Peter said that it's where the angels are waiting for the final judgment who rebelled against God and then rebelled against the proper use of their purpose. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 4, and I say to you, my friends, it reminds me of what I felt that night, New Year's Eve 1998, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. If death was the end of all, then there wouldn't be anything after death to ever consider or fear. So people that have an issue with the reality that we have to give an account and there's a place for those that reject the Lord, won't receive His mercy and forgiveness and compassion through Jesus Christ. Listen, you know who they have a problem with? Not Chad Craig. They have a problem with the one that sent me and I represent Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only one who died and rose again never to die again. And Jesus, in order for Him to do that, could never have said anything wrong, never lied, never told a a little lie, never misled people. And the fact that he was raised from the dead means everything Jesus said is absolutely true. God has once and for all vindicated all of the teachings of Jesus to every demon, angel, to every person in every nation and all lands through the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus himself said that death is not the only thing to fear. And people who can cause you to die are not the only thing to fear. There is something that can happen after death. And God can determine who's cast into Gehenna, to hell or not. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, Paul speaks of this as he talks about flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, listen, and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who don't obey, that speaks to the majority of what Pastor Craig grew up calling just Christmas and Easter only believers. Nominal Christians that are Christian because they were born in a family that went to church, but they don't have a relationship with their Creator through Jesus Christ. They know Jesus, they know Scripture, they know the Gospel, but what does it say? They don't obey, they don't respond through repentance through sincere trust and relational trust to Jesus Christ who died for them and rose that He can get inside them and live His life through them and who's ready to forgive. So the first thing, one minute, after you and I and we and all die, we'll be aware of the body, the place, and then thirdly, let's talk about the awareness. 
Notice in 2 Corinthians 5 and 11, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. Notice that. He talks about being well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciousness. Paul begins to talk about the consciousness. He begins to talk about the awareness. The awareness that we're well known to God. The awareness of consciousness. This is this awareness. What does this mean? It means one minute after you and I die, what we did not know and walk in by faith in life, we will be aware and conscious of it then. Let me break it down. What you and I right now are not conscious of, we will instantly have become conscious of it then. Let me give an example. You will know well in your conscience that worry did not add one minute to your life in that moment. Matthew 6, 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? You'll instantly be conscious of it. Now, if you'll follow with me, this is going to be the, the take-home for you and I, is that we can already enter into that eternal consciousness now for those that are mature and walk by faith. You don't have to wait until then to be conscious that worry won't add a second to your life. You can live with that consciousness, that awareness of that truth now. B, you will know well in your conscience life is a vapor. You will know the reality and your experience and your feeling and your awareness and your consciousness of one minute after you die, which Scripture already tells you in James 4.14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. See, you will know well in your conscience it is too late to change anything. Instantly, you'll understand in your consciousness and your awareness what Job said in Job 7.3 about your allotted time. And this is why Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord. Part of the terror of the Lord, listen, is knowing that once we die, there is no changing. There is no going back. Our allotted time has been used. You will know well that you cannot return to the earth. Job 7.10 says, He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. This is the terror of the Lord. One life. One life in this age. Hebrews 9.27 says, And it as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. It's not you live once, you die, then you go get refined in some underworld, and then you come back for a second go-around. doesn't work like that. We die once after this judgment. Listen. You will know well, you will know deeply, have an awareness in the consciousness in that moment that all you acquired has been left for others to have or to take. This thief that stole from my family this week didn't live with that eternal awareness. But God used it to just remind me of this awareness. You'll know well that all you've acquired has been left for others to have or to take. In Psalms 49 and 10 says, For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish, here it is, and leave their wealth to others. 
It's what Paul already tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You'll instantly be aware that people will have or take all that you left behind. Letter D, you will know well that you are well known to God. Notice what Paul says, but we are well known to God. Paul, as a mature believer who lived out his fellowship and his intimacy with the Lord through the communion by the Holy Spirit, already lived with this awareness. But you'll instantly, one moment, have this awareness. The awareness of what? That you're well known to God. Listen, you will have a conscience awareness that God was with you every second of every minute your entire life. It will be shocking to the unbeliever. It will be enlightening to the believer. Listen to me. You are well known by God. In the Greek, this is, this is language about deep, deep awareness and intimacy. Paul says you are well known by God. He knows what's coming out of your mouth before you speak because he knows everything that's jumbled up and going on in your heart. He knows when you're going to sit down before you sit down because he sees the motivations, the intentions, the thought process, everything about you. Listen, you are deeply well known by God. He is with you every second. His eyes upon you every second. You are deeply known by God, but yet many of us don't live with that continual awareness because there's weights. There's weights of our body. There's weights of circumstances. There's weights that look like God's not with us. Why didn't you protect us? Why didn't you? There's all these weights that seems to get out of your consciousness the reality that you're well known by God. And every second of every minute, He's there with you, watching over you. To the believer, it will be enlightening. Because we'll have an awareness, even when I didn't feel you, even when I didn't see you by faith, Lord, in that valley, in that circumstance, in that hurt, in that trial, in that season I went through, I was well known by you in that moment you were there. You truly never left me. You never left me. It will be shocking, dumbfounding, though, to the unbeliever that God was with them and there were signs of His goodness and provision and His love all around them and they lived totally blinded by the devil and sin and self from the awareness that God's mercy and compassion and goodness was all around them. That the mountains and the streams that they love and they kayak in and they, they think is so beautiful but that in that, that was God's truth and mercy His eternal nature being revealed and in that moment the unbeliever will come aware be shocking oh he was there the whole time in a posture ready to forgive but it's too late see letter E what we saw by faith we get to see in fulfillment one minute after you and I leave this body and we die what we saw by faith we get to see in fulfillment Paul says for we walk by faith not by sight which means this him who we saw by faith we see in fulfillment we see Him face to face. We feel Him embrace to embrace. But now, in order to feel and sense the Lord, but now for the believer to see the Lord, we must see Him by faith. 
But then in that moment, we will see Him in fulfillment. That what you have to walk by faith in now, you'll experience in fulfillment then. Hallelujah. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.8? Whom having not seen you love. When the Holy Spirit introduced Jesus to you, you did not see Him with your natural eyes. You did not shake His hand. You did not embrace Him physically. You saw the Lord of glory by faith. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Listen, You can walk by faith in the glory and the joy now. But even as a believer, if you don't, you will experience it then. What you don't walk in now by faith, you will experience in fulfillment then. But for others, mature believers and those that grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, what you walk in now by faith, you'll experience in fullness then. Hallelujah. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's he saying? I live for Christ and I see Christ now by faith. Paul was mature. He was able to see Christ through sufferings, through hardships, through beatings, through imprisonment, through being shipwrecked, through snake bites through false brethren, from slanders. He was able in his maturity by faith to see the Lord even through those weights and circumstances. But he says to die is gain. What's he saying? Faith gains me the gain to see the Lord face to face and feel the Lord embrace to embrace. Faith gains him that, that when he leaves his body, He gains in fulfillment what he walks in now by faith. Hallelujah. That now you have to by faith perceive and be conscious that the Lord's with you. But then in fulfillment you'll see he's with you face to face. You have to by faith now come to the awareness of God's revealed and manifest presence around you. But then you'll come into the fulfillment of His manifest presence being all around you. Hallelujah. So one minute after you die, the body, the place, with or without the Lord, and lastly, number four, the accountability. Second Corinthians 5, in verse 9 and 10, notice what Paul continues on in our main text. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all, someone say all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You will, one minute after you die, have an awareness that everything done in the body as a follower of Jesus Christ will be accounted for. You will instantly have a consciousness and awareness that everything done in the body whether good or bad, will be accounted for. What's Paul saying? Paul again talking to the believers. He speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat, he uses language that the Corinthians are well known of for the Greek games and 
what we now call the Olympic Games that runners and those that compete, the winner would come before a raised platform and the, the judge sat there evaluating their performance. Paul uses this language to the young minister Timothy. Uses it to the Corinthians later about we're all in a race. Run, live according to the rules and design the purpose of God. For the believer, this means this results in the amount of rewards and loss of rewards that you'll experience during the thousand year reign of Christ in the age to come that Revelation 19 and 20 talks about. That what you do now as a follower of Jesus Christ with your body, whether good or bad, it affects the rewards or the loss of rewards in the age to come where Jesus will for a thousand years reign over all the nations of the earth visibly. It will affect that. It's the justice of God of where believers who allow God to take them through the valleys and stay humble on the mountaintops and believers who allow the grace of God to grow them and conform them into the image of Jesus Christ will in that moment be rewarded for the death of the cross that they embrace time and time again in their will and yet believers who live in selfish and was conformed to the patterns of this world they will lose rewards, benefits, freedoms in the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ before we enter what the Bible calls eternity, agelessness. That's what eternity is. It means there's no age. It's agelessness. Within all rules set aside that the Father may be all in all. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. 1 John 2, 28 talks about believers that will be ashamed at the coming of the Lord, not working in the harvest, not growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. 1 Peter 1 and 7 says, But there will be believers that Jesus Christ will share His praise, honor, and glory with because in this time they allow the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, to purify them, to sanctify their soul, to renew their mind, to heal their emotions, to sanctify, Lord, Jesus in their will. For the unbeliever, What it means for them is they'll have an awareness that everything done in the body during their life will be accounted for. What does this mean for the unbeliever? For the unbeliever, this results in the degree and severity of their eternal torment. See, while so many object to the reality and the issue of hell and an eternal place of accountability is because we all have been created with a sense of justice. And because of wrong teaching about hell and judgment, people think, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that I'm going and going to, for eternity, have the same experience, feel the same thing as Adolf Hitler? And their sense of justice says, that can't be. And it can't be. You understand that you can have multiple people come in the same place and yet feel and see and experience different things. It's the same. There are degrees of the severity of the eternal damnation based on the deeds done in the body. You say, well, thank God, because, you know, I I was planning on going there, and now I know it. You know, no, no, listen, Jesus spoke of, regardless of the degree, it is a horrible place that none person in their right mind would ever want to go. But understand there is a sense of justice 
at the wicked murders and those that cause more sorrow and offense on the earth and people like Hitler and other people. And, you know, there's crazy stuff that happens in our county, by the way, if you keep up with some of those news things. I mean, there is a lot of, of hell motivating people and hurting and causing so much sorrow and pain. Tragedies. People that are used self and Satan to do that, they'll have greater severity than someone who did a lot of good using their body but before God's eyes it was still considered a dead work because they did it for self-glory they did it in their own ability without a relationship with God they didn't murder and they weren't stealing they thought that their own righteousness their own works could get them into heaven both of those unbelievers go to the same place but their severity of their experience differs it's the justice of God then after this awareness it will give an account let me just say real quick it's out of my notes but to clarify the judgment seat for believers listen this is not for things that happened before we became a believer it's accountability after the supernatural grace and miraculous gift of God called the new birth and regeneration salvation comes what we do now that Christ is in us that God laid the foundation but then this awareness will be suspended until the actual appearing before judgment. Did you hear that? It'll be suspended. And then later the Bible says that the actual declaration by God and the judgment of sealing for eternity, His declaration will happen. The eternal judgment. But here's the point for you and I, for followers of Jesus Christ today. This awareness that we're going to give an accountability for what we do with our body now that Christ is in us and now that we're joined to the Lord in one spirit with Him and now that our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and now that we're in communion with the Lord that this awareness can be experienced and entered into now by faith we don't have to wait till then to know here's the point you don't have to wait to know whether you live pleasing to the Lord or not Paul says I'm well confident I'm already knowing I'm living for the glory, for the aim, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, whether I be absent from Him because I'm still in my body, or when I leave my body and I'm present with Him face to face. I make it my goal, my purpose, my aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. I mean, we're talking Old Testament saint, friends. His name was Enoch. Jesus' blood hadn't even been shed. His body hadn't even been broken. Enoch isn't even living under the full new covenant of what God has done. Like now you and I live after Jesus' finished work. And the Bible says of Enoch in Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Here it is. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God Woo! it's an open book test friend you and I know the design and God's calling upon our life we know what he's called us to if we're followers of Jesus Christ we don't have to wait until the judgment to know in the fire of evaluation whether our life and our good works met the standard we now know that Christ in us can empower us to fulfill his own standard that he is the gold silver and precious stone that meets God's merit and if you will allow Christ and his kingdom to increase on the inside of you that he lives through you you know that that work pleases God and will pass the judgment 
in the evaluation to come. Enoch had the testimony. He had the inner witness that he pleased God. You know why? Because he walked with God. I can tell you one thing, friend. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ right now, but you don't walk with the Lord, you come to Sunday and then you compartmentalize every other part of your life, I can tell you that you're not walking well-pleasing to the Lord. But for others, I can encourage you today, if you live every moment, every day by faith of an eternal consciousness, that my life, I'm going to give an account that though I can't see Him, He's with me. Though I can't always feel Him, He's with me. If I live by faith in that eternal consciousness now, I can get to a place in grace to have the witness of the Spirit and the testimony as I walk with God every day, every moment, through every season, that I'm pleasing Him. It's that believer that laughs at death. It's the Augustines who allow the grace of God and the power of God to overwhelm them that at the stake they sing unto God that even the natural fire couldn't kill him. They had to thrust him through a spear. It's the people like Peter that learned who went through the process and Peter encouraged us all because yes, there's failures in the process. Yes, there's times we deny him by a simple act of disobedience and yet God used all of that to the good of conforming Peter to the image of Christ Jesus so that Peter, when it came time, he looked at death and he laughed and he said, I'm not even worthy to die like my Lord died. Hang me upside down. Paul knew. See what is well known to God regarding us can by faith be already known by us as well. Notice Paul said we're well known to God. God's already, he's deeply acquainted with all that's in our life. There is no hypocrisy in the light of God. We only have hypocrisy in the light of one another. But God knows everything about us. And Paul says I'm able to live with that eternal consciousness that I'm well known by God now by faith. And that's why at the end of his days in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I knew, I know I finished my race. I know the crown is laid up for me, that there's rewards on that day, that I've allowed the plan and the purpose of God and Christ in me to live through me for His glory and for His praise. I didn't live for my own kingdom. I didn't live for my own self-praise. I didn't live for my own self-motivation. My life is His. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And He lives through me. Enoch knew. Paul knew. And I just want to encourage some believers today as the band comes, as we go out of here with a shout of praise. A heart reset with the aim to live now pleasing to the Lord though we're absent from Him while in the body. So that when we make that step one minute after we die and we leave our body, it's just walking into the fulfillment of what we're already walking in now by faith. We're not walking into the unknown. We're not walking into, I wonder if he's going to like me. I wonder if he's going to know everything about me. I wonder if me and Jesus is going to get along. I wonder, you know, if I'm really going to accept him, like, you know, really like him. No, we walk with him now by faith. But then we experience it in fulfillment. Hallelujah. You don't have to wait, my friend. You don't have to wait, believer. You can walk by faith in what God already knows. He has for you. Paul said you can enter the kingdom now. You can enter the experience of greater joy, greater practicing of righteousness, greater peace now by faith. Before that day we walk into it in fulfillment. Why not go ahead and enter into the kingdom realities now by faith? Why not go ahead and as you're well known to God, become well known to Him? Or He become well known to you? 
why not go ahead and do what Scripture calls us to do in Colossians 3? Why not go ahead and set your mind on things above? Why not go ahead and walk in faith to what God's already declared? It's one minute after you die, you will see and feel what now requires you to be conscious of by faith and through faith. But what we saw by faith, we're going to get to see in fulfillment. But if you don't walk in it by faith now, you can still have a very miserable life. And I found that life's already miserable enough because of the weights that we have and the death all around us and the hurt and the pain all around us. So why not right now, if we're already going to go through some stuff and trials, why not when we go through it, walk in it with the faith of the eternal consciousness that the eternal one is with us, the eternal one is in us, the eternal one Christ is going to live through us. Why not go ahead and walk in those realities now by faith? Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.